This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. It sounds like a get-rich-quick scheme. Yes, thank you. You will get rich quick. We all will. Didn't you lose a lot of money on that other investment, the one from the email? You know what, Toby? When the son of the deposed king of Nigeria emails you directly asking for help, you help. His father ran the freaking country, okay? Yeah, well, you know, I mean, Michael Scott uh, maybe is the kind of person you might expect to fall for something like the Nigerian prince scam. But that speaks to a lot of our kind of stereotypes about those who are victims of scams and fraud. And maybe we've got a skewed perspective because I think we're all more susceptible maybe than we realize. Now, the Nigerian prince thing has been around for a long time. And so, you know, there is still that question, why does that still work? Why do other scams work? How is it that scammers are able to fool us? Is it because we're gullible or we're stupid? I think that's too simple an explanation because there are a lot of very intelligent uh, people who, who fall for these things. And instead of, you know, kind of blaming the victim here, I think it's important to understand why these work and to understand where we might have our own vulnerabilities as much as we like to think that we don't. Because a lot of this involves psychology, you know, both in terms of our own vulnerability, but also why certain scams or, or certain hooks work. Well, there's a new book that, that explores this in great detail. And I think it's valuable to understand the psychology of this, you know, to better understand why this happens, but also, you know, from, from a more selfish point of view, to better protect ourselves against these, these scams, against what are essentially crimes, obviously. The book is called Nobody's Fool, Why We Get Taken In and What We Can Do About It. Joining us this afternoon is the co-author of the book, Dr. Daniel Simons. He's a professor of psychology at the University of Illinois, heads up the Visual Cognition Laboratory, and uh, joins us on the line here this afternoon. Dr. Simon, it's great to have you with us here. Welcome to the program. Great to be here. It's interesting because, you know, this is kind of a universal theme. I mean, I suppose to some degree we've all been taken in by something at some point. Uh, yet, yet, you know, I mean, it's, it keeps happening. So I guess talk a bit about, first of all, what, what prompted this book on your part? Well, I think one of the things that prompted it for us is that, you know, scams and cons and stories about them are really endlessly entertaining. But... We don't seem to learn from them. As you say, they keep happening. Yeah. So the question was, why is that? And one of the things that I think is a danger from watching all of these great stories about cons is that we tend to think of all of the other victims as people who are just gullible. And what we right. came to realize is that that's really not the case, that we're all subject to being fooled at different kinds in different kinds of ways. And what we wanted to do was look into the sort of underlying cognitive psychology of what makes us foolable. So that was the main motivation for writing the book. Right. And there's a lot to that. I guess maybe first and foremost, as you just alluded to, is uh, maybe a false sense of security that others get can get sucked in by this. But but we or I, you know, as the case may be, I'm too smart for this. It's it's other people that that fall for this stuff. Exactly. I mean, it's really easy to see in hindsight that something was a, was a scam. But in the moment when you're under time pressure, when you aren't really thinking critically about it, uh, especially when people give you exactly what you're hoping for and what you're expecting to see, it's really easy to make a mistake. 
What are the parallels between, you know, these scams on a grand scale? We think of someone like Bernie Madoff versus, you know, at the individual level where you get an email or a phone scam that's just kind of you and that other person. I imagine there, there are a lot of similarities and parallels there. Absolutely. Uh, the grand scams, sort of the Bernie Madoffs and Theranos uh, sorts of scams, those sort of tap into all of the cognitive processes that we use. So we have these sort of standard ways of thinking, these habits of thought that work great for us the vast majority of the time, but they can be manipulated or hijacked by people trying to take advantage of them. And these grand cons use all of them in different sorts of ways, whereas some of the sort of simpler cons might appeal to just one. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I mean, part of that is confirmation bias, sort of, you know, things that we are, you know, assumed to be true and it fits into our existing beliefs. There's also a notion you talk about called truth bias, where we're kind of conditioned to almost believe first and, and question later. Where do these biases come from? Well, that one is absolutely essential. We, we couldn't get by in life without truth bias. We couldn't hold a conversation if we had to second guess every single thing that every person around us ever said. And the way the truth bias tends to work is that we accept what somebody's saying generally as true until we think about it later. And if we don't have the resources or the time or the energy to think about it, we don't tend to question it. We just kind of accept it as true. And for the most part, that's a great thing because it allows us to have a shared conversation with other people, shared interactions, and um, it allows us to function in society. But uh, of course, con artists and scammers are going to take advantage of that by giving you information very rapidly and not giving you time to think it through. Right. So the good ones understand all of this. At some level. Yes. I mean, I, I don't know that they, I, I wouldn't assume that con artists are, you know, familiar with all of the mechanisms of cognitive right. psychology, but they, they kind of intuit them at some level. It's also, you know, the, the information hooks, you call them, that, that sort of, you know, get our attention or sort of set the stage for building on it. It, it all starts with something, right? There's an entry point. Yeah. I mean, and often the most common one is familiarity. People will drop hints that they know people that you that you know, that uh, they come from the same sorts of circles that you are. The grand scams, like the Bernie Madoff ones, um, many of his victims were people who were very much familiar with him, ran in the same social circles, uh, knew him from his uh, very visible work in the financial markets. Um, so they were already familiar with him. And because of that, they kind of assumed, well, if he's familiar, that must be good. I shouldn't question it as much. And we do that naturally, because if you think about it, things that you're familiar with are things that you've encountered before and generally didn't kill you. So it makes sense to treat them as more reliable. Mm -hmm. You know, and back to that paradox you noted where, you know, we're, we're, we're aware that these scams are out there. We're kind of fascinated at some level by these, these scams. And we don't seem to learn these lessons. Is it partly because the scams evolve or the scammers get better and it's, it's harder to keep up? We're learning about the scams from, you know, a few years ago and maybe the ones going on right now are a little more sophisticated. They definitely get better um, in the same way that magic tricks get refined over time to be new and, and innovative, but they all kind of rely on the same sorts of principles. And I think one reason that they keep working is that we think about them more as really amazing theater and stories, right? The the brilliant con artist who dupes people, then they you know get their get theirs when they come to the critical criminal court system eventually when they get caught, um, and it makes for a great narrative, um, but. We don't think about them in terms of what makes them work, what makes these cons continue to be successful, what are they tapping into? And that's what we were trying to do, is, is to 
take a look at across a wide range of scams and deception and cons and see, are there commonalities about how we think, how we reason, what sorts of things we find engaging and attractive that they all share? And that seems to be the case. So maybe we can learn to recognize when somebody's trying to deceive us, if we spot how they're using our habits against us. Right. And we're talking about cons in almost a criminal sense. So I wonder how much of this carries over to marketing, marketing for a product. The product's not necessarily a scam per se, but maybe it's not something we need. And the job is to convince us that we need it or a politician convincing us uh, that, that we should support them. That, that kind of marketing, does it, does it work on some of these th- same mechanisms? Oh, absolutely. Right. And in fact, just getting a social media post of a story that's not true and relying on people to to forward it without thinking critically about it is right. a form of deception. So we use the sort of grand cons as just an illustration because they're so engaging. They're great stories and they use all of these tools. But absolutely, marketing uh, uh, is designed to get you to do things that you might not otherwise do. Right. That's that's the goal. Right. They want you to buy a product that you wouldn't necessarily have other, otherwise gone out and bought. Um, and on a small scale, all of these sorts of tools that are used to get us to do things that are against our interests are relying on the same sorts of principles. And being able to counter that and going back to, you know, why some of these these habits are valuable to us, like the notion of, of yeah. truth bias. But is there a danger then that as we become more on guard for this, we become almost too cynical and, and too distrusting. Yeah, absolutely. That, that would be a disaster. We can't become sort of perpetual skeptics about everything and everyone because we just couldn't function in society. Um, some people are al- almost certainly more critical thinking and skeptical than others. And some people are maybe a little more gullible, but we all can be fooled by these things. But it doesn't make sense to try and avoid all forms of deception, right? So you could imagine uh, double checking everything, right? You go to the grocery store and a product says that it's organic. Well, do you go out to the farm to make sure that it was used only organic materials to create, to to make it? Do you verify the exact price against your receipt for every single item on the store to make sure that there wasn't a sudden markup on something that you didn't recognize? You could do that, but it'd be debilitating. You'd never get, get around in life. So I think that's one of the key elements that key challenges is here is not just figuring out how to avoid being deceived, but figuring out when it matters to think about it. And really the key is to try and figure out when are the cases where the stakes are high. And those are the times to really apply your critical faculties. You know, we talk about how sometimes these scams do get more sophisticated, especially right now as we see the emergence uh, of artificial intelligence, AI tools like GPT or voice recreation. Are we kind of at a point where this is becoming a bigger issue where, you know, scams really are getting a whole lot more sophisticated than, than they've ever been before? Yeah, they're they're on the rise uh, and they're becoming more sophisticated simultaneously. And we don't really know uh, what the end game is going to be with all of these AI generative tools, right? It it makes it much easier for the scammers to generate mass emails that sound realistic. Right? But on the other side, maybe it can be used to sort of counter the scammers too, right? So one, one of the things that we all get are these spam emails promising, you know, vast fortunes if we just send in some money, right? right? And classically known as the Nigerian email scam because that's kind of where it started. And if you look at the history of that, it started before email, right? It started with letters. And it was much harder for the scammers because that meant that they had to send them out and it was costly. Um, But now they can blast it out to millions of people and count on a, a handful responding and eventually giving their money. But it only works if it's only a handful. 
if a ton of people respond, it takes incredible resources to interact with them until they give their money, sometimes months. So maybe AI could be used against them by automatically responding so that it makes their scams less cost effective. If you occupy their time with people who are never going to give them money, it makes it no longer a, a profitable scam. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, we've got technology at our fingertips, too. I mean, before the Internet, uh, you know, the name of a Nigerian prince, who knows? Maybe that is, you know, yeah. the legitimate prince of that country. But, you know, we can verify, you know, claims rather quickly if, if we get a phone call or, or a text saying, uh, you know, your your grandson's in danger. Well, we can pretty instantly, you know, reach out and, and call or text, uh, you know, to see if everything's OK. Yeah. So we do have more tools at our disposal as much as the scammers are, are using them. Do they kind of empower us to some extent? They do. And we have to remember to use them. And that's one of the key things. So if you get that call from somebody saying that, hey, your your kid or your grandkid has been kidnapped, um, that's a huge time pressure, urgent, scary situation. It's, pre it's preying on people's fears. And you have to remember in that moment, is this really legitimate? Should I text my kid and see if they're, if they're fine? Um, but it's hard to do that if somebody's yeah. pressuring you and they're good at it. So one thing that you can do is try and preempt those sorts of sorts of cons and scams. So my family, for example, has a passcode that we all know. And if we get a, a call that sounds like it could be one of these scams, the first question is, what's the passcode? And if they hem and haw or don't give it to you, you hang up, right? And it's a way of being able to trust that people are generally honest while also countering right away the possibility that you're going to be taken in. What about a guilt factor in, in all of this, too, and people being willing to come forward and talk about these things? There's a whole lot less yeah. shame in being, you know, I was worried that my grandson had been kidnapped, so that, that's why I fell for this. Oh, okay, yeah, maybe people understand that at a different level. If there's, you know, the, the promise of some quick money, get rich quick, is there more shame or guilt associated with that? What's the impact of that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we're only aware of the, of the cons that have been caught and the ones where people have come forward, right? And there's absolutely a lot of scams out there where people just weren't willing to say that they fell for it because it is really embarrassing. Uh, in retrospect, just like all of us looking at somebody who has been scammed, in retrospect can say, oh, how did they fall for that? Right. I'd never fall for that. Well, they know that too, right? In, in retrospect, it's obvious that they were being scammed. But in the moment, it wasn't. And we have a very hard time putting ourselves in that moment. So it's a brave thing to do to come forward and say, yeah, I was taken in. And here's how it happened. Um, and that will protect other people. Right. Well, if the paradox has persisted up until this point where we don't seem to learn these lessons, are you optimistic yeah. that this kind of an approach uh, in trying to educate and empower people can can make a difference? I'm hoping it is. I mean, I feel that while researching uh, all of these cons and scams over the years, you come to recognize really quickly when a new one is taking advantage of one of these sort of cognitive mechanisms. And that, that's our hope, is that by reading about lots of different scams in lots of different contexts and different, different fields from art to chess to uh, sports, that you start to recognize the same patterns that you wouldn't if you just watched it as a drama, right? And maybe that will help us to think, sort of think about how our minds work in a way that will help us react more appropriately. We don't tend to really intuitively understand how we think and reason a lot of the time, even though we think we do. And being able to kind of gain some insights into what habits we use all of the time without realizing it, we might be able to spot when somebody's sort of hijacking that for purposes that we don't want. The book is out this week. It's called Nobody's Fool, Why We Get Taken In and What We Can Do About It. Daniel Simons, thanks again for joining us here this afternoon. Really appreciate this.
My pleasure. Thanks for having me on. All right, there you go. That's uh, Dr. Daniel Simons, professor of psychology of the University of Illinois, heads up the Visual Cognition Laboratory. Remember the experiment a few years ago where, you know, there was a whole lot going on on a, a video and then a gorilla would run in and run out and people didn't even notice the gorilla. <laughs> that was them. Anyway, uh, so their new book is called Nobody's Fool, Why We Get Taken In and What We Can Do About It. Thanks for downloading and listening to the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review for free at Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcast. You can also find me on Twitter at Rob Breckenridge. You can email me, rob at 770chqr.com. Talk to you next time.